Amen. Appreciate the song service and all this led up to this. Take your Bibles if you would. Let's turn to the text for this morning's message. It'll be found in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 this morning. Let's stand together. We'll read the text. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25 and go down through verse 32. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Just a little bit of background. Uh, Verse 21 through verse 24 tells us that uh, Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple uh, to fulfill the custom of the law. And as they are going there, or as they are at the temple, this is the scene that takes place in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Let's bow our heads. Father, ask your blessing on this reading, your blessing on this time of preaching. Open our hearts and open our ears to your word that we might receive it. Be good ground as the seed is planted in our hearts, Lord. Please just do that work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit within us. Do that now, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've been part of this church for any time or have been around me at the holidays, then you know I love Christmas music. It's just one of my favorite of music. Every time this time of year comes around, I usually have it on the radio. We've got it playing in our house, and uh, I like to sing them in church. I don't care if you make fun of me for that. I just like like the music. I like this time of year. It's one of my favorite parts of this time of year, and I particularly love the Christmas carols or whatever you want to call the church songs that we sing at Christmas time. I love them because they are so full of biblical message and biblical praise. In fact, we sang two of my favorites this morning, Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, In my opinion, some of the most theologically sound songs ever written. Just the depth in them. And I, I think that is true of most of the Christmas songs that we sing. They're some of the best songs ever written. And to sing them only just a couple times a year kind of seems sad, but it would be weird in July if we're singing Christmas carols. So I get it, but I love the songs at this time of year. And one of those songs has been kind of sticking in my mind as of late. Kind of lines up with some of my own feelings and some stuff that's down deep in my heart, which that's what music is meant to do. That's why we have the gift of music. It speaks to us on this uh, level that sometimes it's more than words. It kind of connects with us. And this song has been kind of connecting with me. It's a hard one to sing. We rarely sing it. 
And it's, it's not a happy, bounding, upbeat song like Joy to the World or Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Actually, it's more like a lament. It's very Eastern, or it's more like a chant. And the words are full of longing and pain and sorrow and waiting. And that song is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Perhaps you know it, maybe not, but it's, it's uh, one of those songs that just kind of speaks to me. It's soaked in Scripture, and that's, that what's, that's what makes a good praise song. When a song is biblically founded and you're almost singing Scripture, that's true praise, because true praise has its roots right here. True praise does not come from my own mind or my own heart. It comes from me lifting up Scripture, lifting up the truths of God back to Him. Anything else is just entertainment. Anything else can be very self-serving. We praise God for what He has done, and true praise has its roots in Scripture and the truth of it. That song does. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you're familiar with it, but... I mean, you can look it up in most hymn books because the message is still relevant to us today. It's relevant for you and for me, and it always has been. The first verse of the song reads like this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. If you stop to consider those words, that is a cry, isn't it? That is full of longing and it's laced with sorrow. You sing that song and you're singing, please come and help us. Get us out of here. We're waiting for you to save us. That same cry we echo today, don't we? I found myself echoing that lately. And I don't think I'm alone in that. That's kind of what's been in my heart and been in my mind and sitting down to study for uh, the message this morning. I came across this text. Because this time of year, I usually turn my preaching towards the center of history. The, the thing that history hinges on, and that is the birth of Christ. The advent, some people call it the advent, uh, the first coming of our Savior, the birth of Jesus. And I think it's good to do that. You know me by now. I think it's good that we... I consider that, especially this time of year. And this week, my attention has been drawn to a lesser-known character of Luke's account of the birth of Christ. We focus on the big ones usually, right? Joseph and Mary, the wise men, the angels, all those ones uh, we, we usually talk about. Mary's an awesome, young, holy woman. And she, I believe she was chosen for a reason to bring the Savior into the world and just just an awesome young woman. And Joseph is an awesome, godly young man. But God in His wisdom moved Luke to record Simeon's words too. And I think it's for good reason. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, I find myself connecting a lot with these people who are sometimes kind of on the sidelines or maybe not front and center stage, but they're living it too. And I find myself doing so this week. Let's, let's look at the text, verse 25, Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and that same man was just and devout. 
When Scripture uses that about a man, it's usually pretty important. This is a good man. He's a God-fearing man, one who worships God. But it says here he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the one who would bring consolation, who would bring peace and comfort. And he had been waiting for a long time. I'm assuming he's an older man. And he had spent his life worshiping God and spent his life waiting for the one who would bring peace. But he's not the only one who's waiting. Israel, the nation of Israel, was waiting for this same consolation, or at least they should have been. By the time Christ Christ came, there had been some drifting away, but there were still those of God's nation who was waiting for him, looking for him. Simeon was one of those. You see, it had been a long time since they had heard from God, 400 years. 400 years since they had heard from a prophet. Now this guy, John the Baptist, had appeared, and he seems to be making a splash, but quite truthfully, there was... Well, that is a pun. I didn't even attend that. That's pretty good. Make my laugh at my own jokes. He had showed up, but you know what? There had been people like him before, and it had kind of panned out into nothing. The last word they heard in the book of Malachi, was that someone would come to prepare the way for the promised one. And there was this guy come out of the wilderness who was claiming to be that. But was it really him? Is this really the time? Because we thought the last guy was going to be the Messiah, but he wasn't. So they had heard a little bit, but mostly silence. 400 long and silent years. Years that had seen them come out of captivity to Babylon and Persia and have freedom and have their own nation only to come back under oppression under the Roman rule. And now, at this time in history, they're free, but they're not. There's heavy taxes. There's corruption in government on all levels. Yeah, for the most part, they were free to worship, but they weren't free to do much else kind of sounds familiar it's kind of looking like a familiar scene in our own nation i can relate to that it's kind of getting that way and it had caused within their heart a longing at least within simeon's heart here in the text simeon is waiting for the one who would bring freedom and deliverance from all this well how did he know how to look How did Israel know that someone would come and do this? Because, beloved, Scripture is full. It is packed full of promises of somebody called the Anointed One. We use words like Messiah, which is an Old Testament Hebrew term. Or we use the term Christ. That's not Jesus' middle or last name. That's a Greek term for the same term as Messiah. The Anointed One. The One who would fulfill the promises of Scripture, the one who would bring deliverance, God's person, the Messiah, the Christ. And Scripture is full of promises. Look in verse 26. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, 
Beloved, Simeon doesn't have a New Testament. He's part of it being written. He doesn't have a full Bible. You know what he has? He has the Old Testament. He has the law and the prophets and Moses and the Psalms. That's because the promise of Jesus as Savior is not a New Testament concept. It's a biblical one. From cover to cover, the Scripture declares Jesus. He is the one who is promised. He is the one who is celebrated. It is a biblical, eternal concept. And if we relegate it only to the books of the New Testament, we fail to see the richness of the promises, the richness of Scripture, how the Old and New Testaments blend together and they fulfill or they support, and they all point to Christ. How did Simeon know how to look? Because the Bible told him so. It starts in Genesis When the curse is pronounced, there's a promise given in Genesis chapter 3. When Jesus tells, well, when God tells Eve, your seed, the seed of the woman, is going to crush the head of Satan. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The one who would come and get full and final victory through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's a promise right in the start of the book that points to Christ. And from there, it just goes on and on. And you hear it in some other amazing verses too, ones that we're probably familiar with this time of year. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. We heard that this morning, right? Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Promises that no human could fulfill only God could fulfill Jesus and his birth is unlike anyone ever that has been or that ever will be born of a virgin God with us Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says this for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. And upon, a throne, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. A child who is to be born, who is to be called the mighty God and the everlasting Father. These are great and precious promises. And promises like that run throughout all Scripture. I would not have time in one sermon or two sermons or even ten sermons to go through every Scripture that declares Christ. It is prophesied, it is promised many, many times. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, it tells us that Jesus began at Moses and all the prophets and He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. It's all about him. It's all about him. The one who will bring everlasting peace. The one who will bring salvation. The one upon whom will rest all government. The one who ends oppression and sins reign over us the one who establishes his own kingdom in truth and righteousness 
amazing and wonderful promises and prophecies. So yeah, I would be looking for that too. Like, when's that going to happen? Because Simeon was looking for it. And beloved, we are too, aren't we? There's a longing within my own heart that echoes what Scripture says. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Please come back and get us out of here. And make it right. Because it's getting pretty bad. And we'll come back to that in a bit, but that's where Simeon's heart is at. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And again, it's good to see those in Scripture. It's good to sing of those. It's good to have those in songs. And back to that song, the second and third verses of the song say this, O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. That's scripture. Because in Luke chapter 1 and verse 78, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, says this, Through the tender mercy of our God, the day spring from on high hath visited us. And the rod of Jesse, the son of David, was prophesied to come and establish the righteous kingdom again. And for ages they were crying out that He would come and fulfill these prophecies. Come and do what You said, Lord. We are waiting for it. Well, beloved, we know that He did, didn't He? He came and He kept His Word. That's why this night in Bethlehem means so much. Because it's that night those promises were fulfilled. That night God sent His Son to do what He promised He would. That night He came to us. He became one of us to save us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Speaking of Joseph, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. That's what happened that night in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know if you've ever taken a step back to think about that, but it becomes to a point where it's even hard for us to understand. God, the Creator, with us. It's so much more than just a baby in a manger. It's God in a body. Come for a specific reason. Look in our text and notice what happens. Verse 27 says, He's led by the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Him after the custom of the law, He's, he's led there and He sees Jesus with His parents. And I don't know if the Spirit leads Him or if He just recognizes or what it is, but I can only imagine the joy in his heart, and I can imagine kind of stepping back and watching this. 
Here comes this old guy running up to this young couple with a little baby that's brought him in to be circumcised, which is a biblical custom. And just comes running up to this young couple, takes the baby out of their arms, and then he begins to uh, praise. Look in verse 28. Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and saying, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He, he runs up, he takes Jesus in his arms and says, He's here. Thank you, Lord. He's here. You've kept your promises. I see it now with my own eyes. This is the one who brings salvation. And not just to Israel, but to all nations. You see that in verse 32. A light to lighten the Gentiles and glory to Israel. He's done what he said he would do. Just like the refrain of that song says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And he did, didn't he? Praise God, he did. Because without it, we're hopeless. Without it, we're lost. Without that, we'd still be looking for someone to save us, but He came to save us. And Simeon feels the weight of that. I can only imagine the joy in his voice or the peace in his heart, how happy he is to see this and to know that God has kept His promise. He's got enough joy and enough peace to say, I can die now. In peace, because mine eyes have seen your salvation. Which begs the question, can you, see the, can you say the same thing? I can, which is weird to most people when you start talking like this. Those of us who know the Lord as Savior and those of us who know our eternity is in heaven, we don't fear death like the rest of the world not like we want to die or we're going around looking for it. I just know that when my eyes close in death, I open them the next instant in eternal peace and joy and comfort. Because Jesus saved me because my eyes have seen the salvation, if you will. I have experienced the salvation that comes in Christ. And I can praise God the same way that Simeon can. Because of His salvation, because of the light brought to us in the darkness, and because of that, I know what waits for me. The question is, do you? Can you say the same thing? Can you have the same peace in your heart? That's the whole point of this account. That's the point of all the promises. The point of all Scripture is that Christ came to redeem us. We fell from glory. We broke the law of God and we are damned and doomed and hopeless. But He came here to save us. The sinless Son of God came to break the chains of sin that keep us bound. The chains of sin that keep us in pain and depression and guilt-ridden. He frees us from all that. He removes the judgment. He removes the sorrow. And in its place, He gives life and redemption and forgiveness eternally. 
He is the light come into the darkness of the world so that we might be saved. And that same promise spoken by the angel to Joseph and Mary, He speaks to you. He's come to save you from your sins. He can be your consolation and your peace and your life if you would trust Him. If you would believe like Simeon did. If you would believe like I did. I didn't do anything to save myself. I born and raised Baptist. That didn't save me. There's nothing I could do, nothing I could give to save myself. All I did was ask Him and ask Him in faith. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was a heartbeat away from hell and eternal judgment. And I believed that He could save me and all I did was ask Him in faith. And you know what? That moment I asked in faith, something happened within me. The guilt was gone. The fear was gone. The weight of sin was gone. And I knew at that moment I was forgiven. I didn't have to repeat some prayer. I didn't have to give some amount of money. I didn't have to do anything but just trust Him down deep in my heart that He could save me from my sins. And the moment I did that, there began to spring forth in my heart new life. Peace like a river. Joy like a fountain that just bubbled up inside me and I knew that, man, something's happened. My sin is gone and I know without a shadow of a doubt that my eternity lies in heaven. That was 31, 32 years ago. I'm getting old if I can't remember. (laughs) That was a long time ago. I was just a kid. But you know what? That peace and that joy hasn't stopped. It's still there. That assurance is still there within my heart because I know Jesus has saved me. And yes, I've been through some tough times. There's been some things that might bring me to my knees, but it doesn't touch that joy. It doesn't touch that peace, that blessed assurance that I know my home is in heaven. It's there within my heart and it will be there forever. Why? Because the promised one of God saved me. Jesus saved me from my sins. And beloved, He can do the same for you. I hope you know that this morning. That good old question we ask so often, do you know where you will spend eternity if your eyes were to close in death at this moment, where would they open? Heaven or hell? That can be heaven eternally if you would trust the one who came for you, the one who died in your place and gave his life for your sins. You feel yourself... You find yourself feeling like that song says. Maybe it's not the same words, but you find yourself looking for something, crying out, somebody help me, somebody take away this pain, somebody stop this void that's inside me. Someone save me from all this because, beloved, if you look around, there's people saying the same thing. That someone is Jesus who died for you because He loves you so much if you would simply turn to Him and trust Him. Because that's exactly what He came to do. God came to save us. What love, what grace, 
what mercy is offered freely if we would just believe. So yes, Jesus fulfilled the promises of God when He came here. Partially. He fulfilled the promises of God partially. Now, don't let that throw you for too much of a loop. Like, what do you mean? Are you lying when you said He did before? No, I'm not lying. He did fulfill promises, but there are still some yet to come. You see, redemption had to take place first. He had to come and die on the cross and rise again from the grave so that the rest of the promises can be fulfilled. And all those amazing prophecies and promises that point to His first coming, there are just as, uh, just as many and equal and amazing promises that point to His second coming. Because when He comes again, the fullness of this book will be completed. And, and beloved, we are waiting for that. Because we still experience pain. Most of the people here in this building, I know you, you profess a testimony of salvation. You know the Lord as Savior. You've committed your life through baptism to, to Him and you serve Him in this local church. But yet we still experience pain, don't we? Our loved ones still die. They still get sick. Families still break. We're still surrounded by that stuff. And we know the oppression of evil that seems like it won't stop and it's getting more and more. And though our eternity is secure, we still cry out for Him to deliver us from some things, don't we? The last verse of that song says this, O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Well, that hasn't happened yet, has it? Nations still go to war. People still fight. There's still death and sickness and pain around us. And the government doesn't care for him. It doesn't seem to rest on his shoulders. I don't see this righteous, true kingdom yet. He hasn't done that. Well, he hasn't done it yet. We know that is still coming. That, beloved, is still coming. And I say it's still coming because He promised that He would. And we believe God keeps His Word, right? We believe God keeps His promises. So we long for it. Listen to the promises of what is coming. Revelation chapter 20 tells us this. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There is a thousand year kingdom coming where Jesus will be king on this earth and his kingdom will be worldwide and his faithful ones will rule and reign with him as he is king of kings and lord of lords. That's going to be amazing. There'll be no more corruption, no corrupt governments, no more nations going against nations, no more conspiracies or people trying to take power. There will be one king of the earth, and that will be Jesus. What's that going to be like? You know what talks the most about it? The Old Testament. And through these passages and the prophets we get just a glimpse Isaiah chapter 2 tells us this it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it his kingdom will be set up and it will be central and all nations will look to that and many people shall go and say come ye let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Well, excuse me. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. His city will be central, and he will be king of the earth, and there won't be any more war. In fact, it says the implements of war will be made into peaceful things. The people will go up and want to learn of him and want to worship him. Isaiah chapter 11 says, with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Excuse me, let me back up. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reproved after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf, the wolf, also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the, waters cover the, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of all the people, to which shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Oh, that all sounds amazing. I want that rest. Because I'm tired of all the fighting. 
I'm tired of all the unrighteousness around us. I'm tired of people standing up and defending evil things. I'm tired of the oppression I feel for simply standing up and declaring the Word of God. I'm tired of people dying. I'm tired of people getting sick. I'm tired of what this world has become. And I'm ready for Him to come back and make it right. It's not that I don't enjoy life. I love life. God's been really good to us, hasn't He? I love my wife and I love my kids and I love this church and I love experiencing day-to-day life, but there's an aching down deeper within my soul because I see everything going on a downward spiral and there is now within my heart a longing for the day when it's all over. When Jesus rules as King and He rules in righteousness and in peace, when the curse is lifted and we begin to experience life with Him like it should have always been, when Satan's hold is broken and the world looks to Him and to Him alone, oh, that that day would come. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, and make it right and rescue us from this mess We're waiting for it. I find my heart echoing the words of that song. Come, Lord Jesus, please, and make it right. Take this away. Take it away and establish your kingdom. And I don't think I'm alone in that. In fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yes, it can get hard now, but we have a promise of glory that's coming. He says it's not just us, it's all of creation. The earnest expectation of the creation waits for this. He says we even in ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for it to happen. 1 Corinthians 1.7 says we are waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you... There was part of Israel that had no idea what was going on when Jesus was born. Even after he was there and he began his ministry, they missed him. You know why? They got too caught up with themselves. There were devout and holy people, righteous people like Simeon or Anna or the uh, 12 disciples and those who followed Christ who got it because their hearts were in tune with Scripture and they were longing and waiting for Him to come. All I'm saying is there's a lot of professing Christians, there's a lot of people within God's churches that are too caught up with other stuff to have a longing heart for Him to return. They rather like it here. They like the earthly stuff. They like their brand of Christianity. They like their version of their view of the Bible. And so all of this don't really bother them that much. As long as they can make money and have stuff and do whatever they want, nobody uh, gets on them too much, they're, they're rather good. But beloved, when your hearts are in tune with Scripture and you're walking with God like you should be, I don't think we can do anything else but groan within ourselves, Lord, please come back. Yes, I love my family and I love this church and God has been good to me in my life, but there is a part of me that says, Lord, please Please come back. I want to see this all made right. I want to see my Savior. I want to bow down at His feet and tell Him thank you. 
I want to experience that full and final peace that is coming. Do you feel that same way? Oh, it's coming. Part of what I love about this account is not only has God brought salvation from sin, but He's going to bring a final deliverance from all evil and oppression. He's going to make everything fully and finally right. I know so because He kept His promises here. And if He's kept His promises here, He will keep the ones to come. He kept His promise to Simeon. He kept the promise of Isaiah. He kept the hundreds of promises of Scripture that said He would come and defeat sin and rise again from the dead and bring victory. And He did all that. Praise God, He did all that. And my friend, if He kept those promises, then rest assured He will keep the rest. He is coming again. He will establish His kingdom and rule as righteous King. And that brings me such peace. That brings me such hope. Maybe you need to hear that today because things seem pretty bad and we can look around and say, what is going on? We could try to find a way to escape it, but it's what the condition of the world is and the effects of sin and it's only going to get worse. But beloved, there's coming a day when it will be made right. It will be worth it all, the pain that we've gone through and the sorrow we may have experienced when that day comes and His Foot touches the Mount of Olives and He reigns supreme as King and everything is made right and righteous. All because He came to defeat death and sin and the promises He gives us that He will come again. Are you ready for that? Does that hope burn within your heart? I pray that it does. There's an aspect of His coming, just as there is an aspect of His first coming that brought terror. You know, Jesus came the first time as a lamb. The lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist said. And He came in love, and He he came in grace, and He came in mercy to save us. He came to save us, praise God. But beloved, when He comes again, He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. As the King of kings and Lord of lords to put down all oppression by the word of His mouth to slay the enemies who put themselves up against Him. And those who don't know Him for that day, that will be a terrible day, a terrifying day. We look forward to it with joy and in anticipation and that will be a glorious day for those who know him and those who follow him but for those who not who do not it will be a terrible day which is why we plead and preach and say over and over and over that you need to be saved you need to place your faith in him you need to follow him Because on that day, you'll know in an instant that the Bible is true and all that He said is true. And if you've rejected it, you stand to answer for that. So I pray that you would accept it today. He has brought salvation to you. If you would accept, 
if you would believe in your heart. And then you too can look forward to seeing our Lord and Savior at His return. Until then, we wait. <laughs> we long to see Him. I don't know what that day is going to be like, but it's going to be amazing. The day that faith is made sight and I can see Jesus. kind of brings to mind that song you've heard. I don't know what I'm going to do, whether it's going to bow down on my face and praise Him or run to embrace Him. or. But I just know it will be glorious. And until that day comes, there's a sense of longing in my heart. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And again, as the end of the Bible says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I pray you have that hope in your heart. I pray that you know I'm in the free pardon of sin and that you know for a fact and for assurance where your eternity lies. That's what He came to do. He came to save us. So I pray that you would accept Him before it's eternally too late.